0: Amen. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to church this Sunday. I mean, what a beautiful morning. Usually in the past couple of weeks, it's been like 95 and we're just all getting sunburned. So welcome to church this morning. My name is Matt. I'm the youth pastor here. Um, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Zechariah chapter nine, Zechariah chapter nine. And uh, like Rachel just mentioned, um, our app is awesome. So if you have the app, go ahead and open that. Um, and if you don't, I encourage you to get it. Uh, we're going to be looking at the app this morning because there are a couple of maps that will help us understand uh, the passage that we're going to be reading. So I encourage you to get it and open to it, and I will meet you there uh, in a moment. You know, it probably goes without saying, but our world is filled with evil. It's filled with chaos, and it's all over the place. You know, the, just, to, just to make sure I didn't like misjudge it, uh, this week I did some investigative journalism which means I went to Google and then I looked up Fox News and CNN and I read some articles and I, uh, I'm happy to bring my findings to you this morning. Um, the world is still full of evil. People are still suffering and chaos is all over the place. And so in, in all seriousness, when we think about the last couple of years, just like with political tensions, war, uh, nations on the verge of war, people suffering, evil is everywhere. Now, if you're anything like me, maybe you fall into the temptation of believing that this world is our home, right? And when we believe that this world is our home, and then we look at our home, that we look at the world thinking it's our home, and we see the evil, and we see the suffering, we see the chaos, we see all the bad things happening, it can fill us with some fear and worry and and anxiety, and not like menial anxiety and worry, but like deep-rooted fear about what's happening in our world. Right? And Satan wants us to be in that position. He wants us to feel that fear. He doesn't want us to have an eternal perspective about what God's going to do to make all things right. How he holds everything in his hands. Right? But God doesn't want us to live in fear. He doesn't want us to, to be unknowing about what's going to happen in the future. How he is in control of everything. And so this morning we are continuing in our series through the book of Zechariah. We are in week nine, which means that we are in chapter nine. And just as a really quick preview about what we're going to be looking at here in Zechariah nine is that we're reading a prophecy given to Zechariah and from his point of view, his vantage point of about 520 BC, it's a prophecy that looks to the future and it gives three different time periods that we're going to see. And so while we're reading, I want you to keep an eye out for those different time periods and the trans, the transitions between them. But other than that, we're going to pick up and we're going to start in verse one. It says this, a prophecy, the word of the Lord is against Hadric, the land, uh, and he will come to rest on Damascus for the eyes of all people and all the tribes of Israel are on the Lord and on Hamath too, which borders on it and on Tyre and Sidon, though they are very skillful. Tyre has built herself a stronghold. She has heaped her silver silver, heaped up silver like dusk and gold like the dirt of the streets but the lord will take away her possessions and destroy her power on the sea and she will be consumed by fire ashkelon will see it in fear gaza will writhe in agony and Ekron too for her hope will wither gaza will lose her king and ashkelon will be deserted a a mongrel people will occupy Ashdod and I will put an end to the pride of the Philistines. I will take the blood from their mouths, the forbidden food from between their teeth. He's saying that he's going to take their idolatry from the, uh, the idolatry from the Philistines. Those who are left will belong to our God and become a clan in Judah and Ekron will be like the Jebusites. And verse eight is a promise that he's giving to Judah here, but I will encamp at my temple to guard it against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people. For now, I am keeping watch. We'll pause there for a little bit. So here in Zechariah chapter nine, the prophet of Zechariah is receiving this prophecy from God. And like I mentioned a moment moment ago, this is the first time period uh, that's mentioned in this prophecy. And this first part of the prophecy is about the destruction of Judah's enemies and how God is going to bring them to destruction. And so from our vantage point here in 2023, looking back, this has already happened. But to Zechariah back in 520-ish BC, they're looking forward. And so we see this first part, this first time period of this prophecy be fulfilled by Alexander the Great, which is kind of cool. It's fulfilled in 333 BC. And that's when the Macedonians led by Alexander the Great went on this fierce conquest to take over the world. The, their uh, their nation, their empire was like 3000 miles wide from Greece all the way to India. Then they basically conquered the known world in uh, about 13 years. And if you're kind of thinking that doesn't sound like very fast, that's not very fast. Well, you know, I challenge you to conquer the world in 13 years and see how fast that takes. So uh, to help us kind of understand how this passage uh, kind of co- uh, correlates with um, Alexander the Great's conquest, I want you to pull up the app. And what you'll see there is if you go to summer services in the middle, you'll see uh, a little section at the bottom that says Ale- Alexander the Great's conquest. And I want you to click on that. And what you'll see with that first map is kind of a large scale view of the the Macedonian Empire it reached from Greece all the way to India. It shows the scale at which Alexander the, Greek, the, the Great conquered. Now the second map it kind of zooms in on Judah. It zooms in on the area around. Israel. And what you can see is that we don't have all of the cities mentioned in chapter 9, but we have a good a number of them on this map to see what this prophecy is talking about. So we see that the cities go in order, right? So when Alexander the Great was conquering, he went to Damascus, and Damascus fell, and then Tyre, and Sidon, and then Ashdod and Ashkelon, and then Gaza, and all the way down the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, all the way to Egypt. And this exactly happens about 200 years after this prophecy was given. God uses Alexander the Great to punish and carry out judgments on Judah's enemies for their sin and their cruelty during Judah's exile. And this is where we see God's providence over history. He's in control of it all. I mean, the first one is that he uses such a fierce conqueror to conquer and and bring judgment on these nations and these cities that God has uniquely designed or or brought about this judgment. And the second is that we see in verse 8 that God promises that he's not going to let marauding forces take over uh, Judah again, take over Jerusalem. And so if you look at the map, you can see that Alexander the Great passed Israel twice. He passed on his way south to Egypt, and then he passed on his way back going over to, um, India. And so it's not like they kind of just moseyed on by and said, Oh, we don't know what that city is. Let's keep on going. I mean, they were conquering everything in their path, but we can see that God protected Jerusalem from this fierce conqueror. If you, uh, are into military history or this interests you, there are some very interesting stories about what could have happened around this time where God protected his people. Um, it's kind of a rabbit hole, so we're not going to go into it this morning, but I encourage you to go look it up because it's, it's really fascinating how God takes care of his people. And so I want you to grab your Bibles again, and we're going to go on to the next section. But what I want you to do is I want you to keep this image of Alexander the Great and his fierce and quick conquest in your mind, because we're going to see a parallel there to the end of the passage. So uh, we're going to pick up in verse nine and it says this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And what we see there, we're going to pause there for a second. Is that is a prophecy about the Messiah. It's a prophecy about the coming Jesus, and we actually see this fulfilled in the Bible. So, if you want to turn just like two books to the right to Matthew chapter 21, I want to read the first couple verses there where we see this prophecy fulfilled. So Matthew 21 verses one to five, it says this, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, right? The prophet of Zechariah, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So here in Matthew 21, we see the fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah 9:9, which is just super cool. So you can go ahead and turn back to Zechariah because that's where we're going to pick up after here in a moment. But we see this the second time period. The first time period was 333 BC with Alexander the Great. And here we're in the first century with Jesus. And it's talking about when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And Zechariah says, hey, rejoice, be glad. Jesus, the Messiah, is riding in on a donkey. You're king. And I'm, you know, I was kind of reading that like, what's so cool about that? What's so cool about riding in on a donkey? It's like if Jesus kind of pulled up to Jerusalem in a 2013 Toyota Corolla. You know, like there's nothing cool about it. It's a reliable car, but nothing crazy about a to- Toyota Corolla, right? But the, what's, what, the, what this is symbolizing is that in the ancient Near East, when a king was coming in peace to a warring city or one of their enemies, they would ride on a donkey instead of on a horse or a war stallion because that signified war. Right, so they would walk in or they would ride in on a donkey and that signified peace. And what's interesting is that's contrary to what we see about Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great came with fear and with war, but Jesus at his first coming came in peace. You know, want to know why our world is so messed up? It's because of us. It's because of other people. It's because of the wickedness of the human heart. And so there is a cosmic war going on between rebelling humans and God. And so when Jesus came and he's strolling up to Jerusalem and he rides in on a donkey, he's declaring, Hey, I've come in peace. I've come to make peace with you because right now we man, sinful man cannot be brought back into a relationship, brought back into a peaceful relationship with God because there's enmity there. There's, there's war. And so Jesus comes in peace and through his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, Jesus made a way for us to be welcomed back into that relationship with God, a peaceful relationship with God. He made a way for our sins to be clean and forgiven so that we can be made new. And we cannot make peace with God ourselves. We need Jesus. And this prophecy in Zechariah, the one that's fulfilled with Jesus entering on a donkey, in verse 9 it says this, Your king comes to you righteous and victorious. Right? This prophecy is calling Jesus the victor. And so when Jesus is riding into Jerusalem and he's, he's on the donkey, he's coming as king. And, and we, you probably know the story, right? When Jesus was on the cross, he was mocked. And they put a crown of thorns on his head and he wore that crown as a king. And when he died and he rose from the dead, he became the victor. And so Christ is the victor. He's the victor over the current order of this world. And so uh, this is our first main point this morning. If you're taking notes, it's this. This world has no power over Christ, the victor. This world has no power over Christ, the victor. And you know, this world might seem scary, We might suffer. We might experience the effects of evil and sin, but the world has no power over Christ the victor and his people anymore, us. And so maybe you are fearful. Maybe you you look at the world and you're just scared. You're worried about the schools. You're worried about politics. You're worried about geopolitics and war and and what's gonna happen. And you're just fearful. Not like, oh, I'm a little worried about it. Like you, you have a deep fear about this world. And I want you to know that if you are in Christ, then you are victorious with Christ the victor. If you've put your faith in Jesus, this world has no power over you anymore. And, and it has no power because if you're in Christ, he has already conquered, right? On the cross, sin could not conquer Jesus. Death could not hold him. And to those of us who serve the victor we're called to rejoice we have this hope we have this freedom that non-believers don't have if we were to take a second and, and put ourselves in the the place of a non-believer they have no place for hope they have no place to rejoice and be glad because they view this world as their home this is all there is and so when they look around and they see the evil they are struck with fear and with worry and deep anxiety Because this is all that they see. This is all the hope that they have. But if you're in Christ, you don't have to live in fear. Because Christ the victor has already overcome the world. It's all under his control. And also, he's coming back. And he's going to come to put an end to evil once and for all. And so this is where we are right now. If you want to look at your Bibles quick. You and I are living in what we call the church age. And it's this period between verse 9 and verse 10 in Zechariah 9. Jesus has come on the donkey. He's come to make peace with man or between man and God. And so people can come to Jesus and be forgiven. They can come to Jesus and receive eternal life. They can come to Jesus and he'll make peace with them and God. right? But that's not always the way it's going to be. And so we're going to continue reading in verse 14. And this is that third time period that I was talking about. We're going to pick up in verse 14. It says this. This is the second coming of Jesus. Then the Lord will appear over them. His arrow will flash like lightning. The sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet. He will march in the storms of the south and the Lord Almighty will shield them. Talking about his people. They will destroy and overcome with sling stones. They will drink and roar as with wine. This is a brutal picture that we're about to see here. They will be full like a bowl used for sprinkling the altar. It's it's describing a slaughter. That's gonna take place. And so we'll pause there. What we see here is imagery about the second coming of Jesus. First time period, 333 BC with Alexander the Great. Second time period was the first century with Jesus. And the third time period is sometime in the future, the future for us, where Jesus is gonna come back. And there are a lot of views on kind of when this happens in relation to the tribulation and the other parts of the end times. But what we know for sure is that Jesus is coming back and he's coming back with vengeance. Revelation tells us that when Jesus comes back, he's coming back against Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. They're like the the evil trinity, right? And and he's going to come with war against them. He's going to come with war against anybody who rebels and continues in their sin. And so this is our second um, and last main point this morning. It's this, Jesus came first with peace and next time he's coming with war. Jesus came first riding on a donkey in peace. And next time he's coming on a horse on the clouds and he's coming with war, right? Just like Jesus' first coming, it was physical. It was bodily. People saw him. We believe that Jesus' second coming will be the same. It'll be physical and visible. The whole world is going to see him. But this time he's coming with war. Right, Jesus said his first coming came in humility. He came to make a way for us to meet, to have peace with God. And right now, because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, people, sinners, can come to Jesus and be and, and have peace between them and God because of what he did on the cross. He is welcoming people to himself. However, if people continue to reject this message, if they continue to rebel, they continue in their sin then to those people, Jesus is coming back like Alexander the Great. He's coming back with a swift conquest. He's going to take over the world. He's going to destroy evil. We have this picture, if you want to read more about this, in Revelation chapter 19. And it's this picture of the armies of the world kind of ready for battle against Jesus when he comes back. And it's hyped up to be this, this really epic battle of just like good and evil. But then it says that Jesus just speaks And and, and the the armies of the world just die, right? They just fall over dead. And so it's kind of an anticlimactic moment, but it shows that this is not an evil or an equal battle. Jesus is going to win and the enemy has no chance. And from that victory, when Jesus eradicates evil, he's going to set up his kingdom. And it's the fulfillment of verse nine, where he says that no marauding forces are going to overtake it. It will not be overthrown. That's going to be fulfilled completely in his kingdom and in eternity. And so I want us to look back for one last time at the passage and we're going to see what that period is going to be like, what eternity is going to be like with Jesus. Let's start in verse 16. It says this, The Lord their God will save his people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. How attractive and beautiful they will be. Grain will make the young men... Grain will make the young men thrive and new wine the young woman. This picture of Jesus being the good shepherd. And if you've put your faith in Jesus, you're a part of his flock. He's gonna protect you. And we can have hope that this world is not our home, that our home is with Christ and that he's gonna come back and put an end to evil. And then we're gonna live with Jesus forever and ever on the new heaven and the new earth. And we're gonna live in paradise with Jesus because there's going to be no sin and no evil. And so speaking of Christ, the victor coming to make peace between God and man this morning, we're going to celebrate a baptism and I'm sure we'd all love to get in that pool right now. So I'm just going to tell you it's hot water. It's not cold water. So don't be jealous, but baptisms are a visual reminder that Christ, the victor has made peace between man and God. And then baptism is just a symbol. It symbolizes when a person goes into the water, they're dying with Christ and when they're lifted out, their sins are being washed clean as they enter into this new life with Jesus. Now baptism does not save us. we're only saved through faith, but it is an important step of obedience, an important symbol of what the Christian life is. And so um, everyone I'll, I'll welcome the uh, um, I'll w- welcome up Sonny at this point. Everyone uh, that gets baptized at Renovation Church um, is, has sponsors. They're people that have a spiritual impact on their life. And we get the privilege beforehand of, uh, of hearing their testimony. So we get to do that now.
1: Hi, I'm Sunny. Thanks for joining today. Um, okay, so my story starts from when I was basically a kid. Um, growing up, uh, I grew up in a very passionate Christian home. We all went to church, we went to private school, did the whole shebang of it. Unfortunately, my sheltered home shattered, and I quickly became the poster child of divorce. Uh, angry, confused, lonely, the whole the whole thing. Uh, every sense of joy vanished, leaving me with the appropriate new nickname, partly cloudy. And in the following years, I completely turned away from God, disregarding everything I was taught growing up. In my brokenness, I looked to anyone to fill the void of loneliness. I traveled aimlessly to spark joy and used anything to cultivate inner satisfaction and peace. And I did all of it without knowing truly how empty I was as an individual. At one point during one of my getaways, I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror because I was so ashamed of the choices that I was making. I didn't even recognize myself at that time. I returned home. Figuring the normal, familiar, yet broken faces that I was used to, that I had spent my time with, uh, I was hoping that they would work, coming back to them. And uh, ironically, it hurt even more. With nothing but hopelessness left, the only thing left to try was going to church. I heard about renovation and immediately joined a house group, figuring I could use some new faces. And I started seeking after God. My pursuit wasn't necessarily focused like a slow burn, those old habits, they they do kind of die hard. And uh, however, God's faithful, and he answered me. He began refining me by softening my heart and heart and removing the desire of those old habits one by one. It wasn't until the middle of one night after a restless week, I woke up abruptly and I heard a voice say, you are forgiven. And I looked around, I was like, even now? And he's like, yep, even now. And at that moment, I was completely overwhelmed by God's grace, and I repented. I finally understood and felt the power of Jesus' death and resurrection, washing away all of my sin and shame, that nothing in this world satisfies the way that his love does. Everything changed from that moment on, and my life now belonged to him. Since then, I no longer feel shameful. My anger and loneliness are gone, and I continue to find rest and hope in his love. Psalm 34, 4-5 summarizes my story perfectly. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered in shame. Today, I am joined by my spiritual mentor, Kim, whom I met at house group, and my childhood best friend, Katie, who both have encouraged me in every step of this journey. They are faithful servants of God, and with their fellowship, I continue to learn and grow in my faith. Thanks.
0: Amen. Thank you, Sonny, for that testimony. If that's not a plug for house groups, I don't know what is. You know, that's a baptism is a beautiful picture of what we were talking about. Christ the victor, the prince of peace, making peace between us and God. And, and this morning, if that's you and Sonny's story resonated with you, And you want that peace between you and God? I I encourage you that as I pray here in a second to put your faith in Jesus, to to, to believe fully in him, put your trust in him and turn away from your sin. And he's going to save you. He's going to forgive you the same way he did Sonny. And he wants to walk with you in that new life. So I'm going to wrap up the service here by praying. And I, I ask that if that's you, that you would give your life to Jesus. So Lord, we come before you this morning. And we're just so grateful where we are eternally grateful that you sent your son, Jesus, the king, the victor to be mocked and to be killed where we deserve to be. And God, I pray that, that people would hear that message, that good news of Jesus, that by his death on the cross and his resurrection, that he has made peace not only was he in the grave, but he rose from the dead. And now he is reigning as the victor over this world. And so we can be forgiven, that we can reign in that life, that we can walk in Jesus. And I pray that you would give us a supernatural peace, your peace to deal with the chaos and the evil of this world. And in the name of Christ, the victor, we pray. Amen. Well, hey, that's it for our service this morning. Uh, We will see you all next week. And if that was you and you put your faith in Jesus, I'm going to be up here with the follow-up team and we'd love to talk to you about next steps. So have a great week and we will see you next Sunday.